Good morning. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me again. That's a good sign. Um, we've enjoyed connecting with you through the week or through the year since uh, our uh, meeting last summer. Particularly, have enjoyed uh, just some of the reconciliation gatherings we've had with Simi. I want to honor Simi Karlik, who's with us here today. I've asked her to bear witness to my story of reconciliation. And of course, she has been so much a part of that journey. And she's a beloved elder, prayer elder in our church. And of course, my wife Kathleen is here. We also have Matthias uh, Alpeg. Uh, he's a pastor in Switzerland, and he's on a three-month sabbatical and staying with us in our home. Uh, so we're grateful also to just acknowledge that uh, we, the Creator has given uh, this traditional territory to the Musqueam, the Salewatu, and the Squamish uh, Coast Salish people, and we're grateful to be on the land together uh, today. I think it'd be good to begin with some, uh, I'm going to tell a story, one story, course there's many stories among rec for reconciliation but at the same time there's one story of reconciliation so the big picture is from second corinthians chapter 5 where paul says therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is an incredible passage where Paul describes a cosmic truth and reconciliation commission that's going on. That God, the God of the universe, has offered amnesty to all offenders. If they will just come to the table and speak their truth, they can be reconciled. Reconciliation is at the very heart and core of who God is, and it's heart and core of our story. It sums up what's going on. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said that, that in, the, in the fulfillment of the times, God will bring together all things in heaven and in earth. And in Colossians, it does reiterate the things part. It's not just people, but it's animals and the land and creation. It's a cosmic reconciliation. It's so important uh, that Paul, you could hear his cry, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Jesus, very early in the Sermon on the Mount, said if you are offering your gift at the altar, or to put it in a modern vernacular, if you're singing your worship songs, therefore remember your brother or sister or something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go and be reconciled. There it is again. Be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. This is so important to God. 
The Greek word for reconciliation is dialasso, which means to come together through meaningful exchange to end hostility. But there's this idea of exchange. So it's used in money. It was used uh, in financial ma matters. And of course, the word reconcile is also a financial word, isn't it? We talk about reconciling the books. Reconciliation is essential for accounting. Any accountants here? And it's essential for the kingdom of God because, in the words of Chief Robert Joseph, we are all connected. And Chief Robert, or Chief Seattle, the web of life, we're all connected. Because we're all connected and interdependent, reconciliation is essential. So in the first uh, scenario, Jesus says, he tells the offender to go to the offended one and make things right. However, we know that in other passages, Jesus tells those who are the offended ones to go to the offender. So there's no out here. Whether you're offended or the offender, be reconciled. Foundational, of course, to all this is forgiveness. Oh, there's another financial word. I, I think you heard about the Sermon on the Mount last week or so, where Jesus says, uh, and forgive us our debts. So reconciliation is there's a, it's a financial word implication there. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, nice try, Peter. But 70 times seven. William Arthur Ward said, we are most like the beasts when we kill. We are most like humans when we judge and we are most like God when we forgive. So I want to talk about the journey of reconciliation. One story. And there's a play on words there, as I said. Because I think there's only one story when it comes to reconciliation. There's no kind of this reconciliation. I think it's all part of the one story. But I'm also going to tell you one story that is among many stories. And reconciliation. In 1990, after bad ministry burnout, which I think I talked about last year, we were living in England for two years. And one Sunday, and I'll, I'll never forget it, there was this, on the cover of the, one of the biggest newspapers in England, the, the London Times, was uh, they have a magazine every Sunday called the Sunday Times. And on the cover of the Sunday Times magazine appeared this huge picture, beautiful picture of a First Nations chief with a caption, Finally, a Hollywood movie the Indians like. It was a picture of Graham Greene, a Canadian actor, who starred as Kicking Bird in the movie Dances with Wolves. Kathleen and I attended with some friends, and I was so moved that I wanted to go again, so I took my 10-year-old son and we watched it again and, and as we left the theater, I was sobbing uncontrollably. 
And my son, he didn't know what to do. Ten-year-old, seen his dad, just a mess. He looked up at me, looked away, says, Dad, I hate white people now. And over the following months, I was repeatedly overwhelmed by this deep, indescribable sorrow. And Dances with Wolves came out 33 years ago, but for that time, I know a lot of wonderful indigenous produced and acted movies have come out, but at that time, it was an important wake-up call. There was a scene near the end of the movie where one of the lead characters, played by Rodney Grant, charismatic indigenous man calls out repeatedly you remember that those of you that are old enough by the way it's still very available on the, the streaming I watched it again the other day on indigenous day with matthias and kathleen it's still whew, still worth watching he calls out at the end of the movie dances with wolves you remember that dances with wolves i am wind in his hair i will always be your friend and that just caught me, just. He kept saying it over again. I am winning this hair. I will always, and there was this passion and this cry that came from his heart. And I was taken back to my childhood. In that time, growing up in Northern Alberta in a little town called High Prairie in the peace country near the lesser Slave Lake. And when I was in grade eight, a significant number of First Nations students showed up at our school. I hadn't been there before. I think there was one guy that was in the school up to grade eight, Kenny Gray. I'm still in touch with Kenny. And I thought they'd just moved across town from a Catholic school, which was true for, the, for about a year. And a number of the boys, including a guy named Steve, joined the basketball team that I played on, and we became good friends with a good level of camaraderie and trust over the next three or four years. But I noticed something was wrong. Couldn't, couldn't put my finger on it, except that every Monday it seemed like Steve and all his friends would come in hungover from partying and fighting, drinking all weekend. And Steve and many of his peers didn't complete high school. And after I graduated, we moved to Calgary, later here to Vancouver, and I lost contact with Steve. However, when I saw wind in his hair, Steve was that guy. Because in all his brokenness, he just knew how to be a friend. Incredibly loyal. And as the movie depicts so well, First Nations were dispossessed and oppressed, which provoked that reaction in my son, which shows that how many know reconciliation, you, ought, you have to be reconciled with yourself. Not only with God and others, but you've got to be reconciled with yourself. You have to forgive yourself and your own people and your own history. You see Germany beautifully working on that. It's wonderful. And so we returned to Canada. I just felt like this sorrow, I felt like there was more to the story. 
I knew about the dispossession and the stolen land and the broken treaties. I knew about that, but I felt there's more to this story. I'm not, I'm not getting all the story. What's going on here? So we returned to Canada in the fall of 1991 and moved to Vancouver. And I got a job in administration at UBC in the Department of Mining Engineering. And engineering is very involved in First Nations lands and interests, of course, or, or sorry, mining is. And it was there for the first time I became aware of the existence of Canada's residential schools. 35 years old. That this was a systemic program, I'll just name it, many of us know it, but let's just name it. This was a systemic program to forcibly remove indigenous children from their families and culturally assimilate them, not allowing them to speak their language, sing their songs, or wear their regalia. And their hair was cut against their will, as Richard Twist, that beautiful First Nations indigenous man, said, 500 years of bad haircuts. <laughs> Furthermore, there was systemic and widespread physical, mental, and sexual abuse when we moved to Vancouver, it was all over the news that religious leaders were being jailed for sexual abuse in a little place on the northern border called Lower Post. I was later to find out that there were two residential schools within 30 minutes of where I grew up. In High Prairie, 30 minutes. I was later to find out that all my friends had gone there. And they were only, only in grade seven when they got out, but the damage had already been done. Steve went there, and it was devastating for me as a white, non-native Canadian to discover that we had inflicted this kind of suffering on generations of First Nations children and their families, and worse, that so much this is what really hurt me. So much of this had been done in the name of the Christian God. With the cooperation of Christian churches, Roman Catholic, Anglican, United, and others. And the news has only gotten worse, hasn't it? As over the past three years, the remains of thousands of missing indigenous children who died due to neglect and abuse are being discovered on the sites of residential schools. Around that time, a friend of mine, John Dawson, who's YWAM, came out with a book, Healing America's Wounds. And I became aware of this open wound in our land, this need to be reconciled for healing. I felt that because the stakes were so high that this was God's primary agenda for Canada. How could the church ever go forward if we didn't address this? What we've done in the name of God. And I felt grace that we were being invited in spite of all the damage to partner with God in God's work of reconciliation. This is God's work, my friends, not ours. Jesus said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. And the Father is up to reconciliation. And it was during that time that my employment at UBC gave opportunity for Kathleen, my wife, to have tuition benefits. And so she took advantage of that 
to complete her postgraduate TESOL degree. And during these classes, she met Sini, a residential school survivor from, remarkably, Lower Post, that place that we'd heard about on the news. This was one of the most notorious residential schools in BC, the very school we'd heard about, and 80% of the boys were sexually abused by Christian leaders. Like most indigenous children of that generation, Sini and her brother Walter and sister Bernice were forcibly removed from the, their loving home from their mother to attend a harsh, sterile environment with little warmth or love. Yet for all of this, when Kathleen met Sini, she was a believer. And thanks to, and a lot of this, I would say, I think Sini would acknowledge this, was thanks to the love and prayers of her mother. I think that was kind of a thread of grace, Lorna. And Kathleen and Sini formed a friendship, and shortly after, miraculously, Sini found the courage to cross the threshold into our church gatherings at Vancouver Eastside Vineyard. Soon after, she introduced us to her mother, Lorna, who as an elder in the community, along with her brother, Walter, who was chief at the time, invited us to come to Lower Post. We felt so honored at this invitation, but little did we know what we were stepping into. We were so naive. Our first trip was July 1996. About 25 of us, I think, all went on this trip. The team was so mad at me because I always wanted to stop and look at a mountain or <laughs> river. They said, we're never going to get there. If you drive the other way, you're in uh, south of L.A. That's how far it is. And you're still in B.C. We saw so many bears, moose. Incredible. Wonderful. It was one of the most emotional weeks of my life. But our posture as we went was in the words of Leela Watson, an Australian Aborigine, if you're coming to help us, you're wasting your time. But if you believe your healing is bound up with ours, Come, let us work together. That's kind of that's kind of how we felt about that invitation. That's kind of the posture that was that we came with, but we heard as well. Because in spite of the devastation that we saw that first visit in Lower Post, and it was everywhere, just like I saw in Sucker Creek and Gift Lake and Tikamade and the towns around High Prairie, Alberta, just violence and alcohol, in spite of that devastation, we saw very quickly that we were the broken ones because we had caused this devastation. Some of our folks organized the building of a cooperative playground together. Adults and children working together with the community of Lower Post. In, in one week, they finished this playground and presented it as a gift to the children of Lower Post. And I felt like this whole week that we went was a river of tears that flowed. Inspired by John Dawson's writings on identific identificational repentance, 
I felt that I needed to publicly name our sin against this community. You say, well, what right did you have to do that? Well, I'm a white Christian male. And I felt I needed to apologize to this community in representational, identificational repentance for inflicting so much pain. I was incredibly naive, I know, but I felt like I had to do that. I felt that it was not the end or solution, but a start. It was a starting point. In the words of former Grand Chief Matthew Kuncombe, sorry is not enough, but you start there. And we wept. Our, nation, our First Nations friends wept. And as Sini has testified, some were angry. Many had never heard a white man speak this way. And for some, it was triggering, just like Pope Francis's apology. Not that I'm in anywhere the same category, but it, that there is triggering when sin is named. And they literally ran out of the room when I gave my confession in this public gathering. In many ways, we found out that there was a long journey ahead of us at that point in we made many mistakes, but it was one of the most significant weeks of my life. Friendships were formed that last to this day. We had bonfires. We played baseball at midnight because of the midnight sun. We learned indigenous songs and dances, welcome dances, the Ulukun dance. We ate bannock and moose meat. We, there was even prophecies were vineyard, we prophesied. There was prophesied that there would be plenty of moose and bannock at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Many of the community asked to be baptized or rebaptized in the Liard River. I think it's incredible. In fact, the, the current chief was one of those. It was one of those most significant weeks of my life. But reconciliation, as we know, is not a one-time event. It's a journey. It's a process. And it's a long obedience in the same direction. Through the years, we have continued to pray for and stay in connection with our friends from Lower Post with frequent return visits, primarily through Sini, who is our bridge person to that community. Every time we go, and I mean this with all my heart, friends, I feel that we have received way more than we could ever give. That something is healed in me every time I go. I feel like there's a missing piece that's put back in. Something to do with connection and community and connection to the land and, and just being present and being loved for who you are. One defining moment for me that year was a year, a, a few years ago, and we arrived in Lower Post and everybody was gone. That was bad planning. But they like to go on the land in the summer, and we heard that everybody had gone off to a culture camp called Blue River. It was about two, three hours away. So, you know, we've learned to be flexible when we go to Lower Post. And this camp at Blue River it was on the site of an ancient village that had been wiped out by smallpox. They'd rebuilt it, restored it. It was just a beautiful place, one of your favorite places, see me. So changing all our plans, canceled our meetings, canceled our program, 
we jumped in our vans and headed over to the camp and met all these kids and adults and elders uh, and we just joined in the camp we we played our our youth were introduced to stick gambling <laughs> by the other youth they played this game and we made bannock over open fire and were taken on boat rides down the river and we had a short gathering of singing and gave a message and at the end it was really funny i was really interrupted in my sermon because somebody yelled from outside bannock's ready and everybody took off i didn't have a crowd anymore but bannock i'll tell you if bannock is freshly made over the fire my sermons have no competition with that but there was this man looking at me in his 50s, very intently looking at me. His name, and, and he came up and he had a hook, like, you know, like a hook for an arm. He had no arm, just a hook, like a pirate. And he'd had a hunting accident. And uh, he came up to me. Uh, it's just one of the most formative moments. It just so defines our journey. He said, hi, Gordy. My name is Billy George. He shook hands with the other hand with me and he said, my name is Billy George. This is the first time I've been in a Christian meeting since I left Lower Residential School in 1975. Thank you for coming. That just hit me so deep. This was reconciliation at work. This guy was blessing me in spite of all that he'd been through and thanking me for coming. And he received me. And it was reconciliation for him because for the first time, when he left residential school, he felt he had to choose between being Christian and being native. And something was healed at that moment. Many times we struggle as to what to do next. Because we don't want to meddle and make the mistakes of the past. We've just tried to be a listening presence. And we're so proud of the people of Lower Post. And the way that that community has sought healing and worked on rebuilding and speaking their truth. During the pandemic, a long-held dream of Chief Walter came to pass. Chief, had all, Chief Walter had often spoken about the, wanting their current band office to be burned down and a new facility built in its place. Why? Well, it was the same building as their residential school. Can you imagine elders having to go back into that very same building every day to do their job? And it brought triggers and pain every day. And so in cooperation with the Delu De La Dena Council of Lower Post, I think it was 2021, the provincial and federal governments got together to sponsor a ceremonial burning of the band office. And we sent Sini up there to bear witness to that very powerful time in 2021. And construction has now begun on a beautiful new cultural and community center. It's gonna just be multi-purpose youth, art, business, everything. 
A few months after the burning ceremony, I heard that there was an indigenous delegation from Canada, and I read Wab Canoe's book, you know, that book about his father. His father was a practicing Roman Catholic and had died and never heard the Pope's apology, and he longed to see that. And I, I took that on, and I was so excited to hear that there was an indigenous delegation. Many of you will remember that in 2008, the Stephen Harper government, with the cooperation of all the other political parties in Canada, made an official apology to Canada's First Nation Inuit and Métis people for the residential schools. And out of that apology, a healing fund was established, and Indigenous leaders initiated the Canadian Truth and Reconciliation Commission based on the South African model initiated by Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela. And they did this to avoid the bloodshed and revenge that other countries had suffered with independence. And they offered amnesty to all the perpetrators if they were willing to come face to face with their victims and hear their stories and how their actions had caused pain. It was hard, it was painful, but it brought healing. And in the opinion of many, it saved South Africa from a bloodbath. And Canada should be familiar with the contents of our own Truth and Reconciliation Commission that are available in our final reports, in our libraries, online. You can find it everywhere. And there are 94 calls to action for reconciliation. And actions 58 to 61 are specifically addressed to the church. And we should memorize those. By the way, between Sini and me and us here at Reality, two of those actions have been fulfilled this year. We're, I mean, it's not just a one-time thing, but we've been living it out. It's from this call to action, 58. CTA 58 was a call for the Pope to apologize for the role of the Roman Catholic Church and to do so on Canadian so soil. Such apologies had come from the United Church, the Anglican Church, but none from the Catholic Church, the largest operator of residential schools. The indigenous delegation was organized by the Assembly of First Nations. And when I heard about it, I felt strongly that Sini needed to be on that delegation just because of her story, but also the lower post-residential school was run by the Roman Catholic Church. I contacted the office of the Grand Chief and after a long delay on Remembrance Day, I think it was 2021 or 2020. Yeah, I think it was 2021. The executive administrator of the Grand Chief Assembly First Nations phoned me and said, we want Sini on this trip. Can you pay by tomorrow? I said, put it on my credit card. And Vineyard Canada and our church got together. BC Vineyards uh, supported Sini to go. And we felt it was just so important. And in April, she traveled with this delegation to Rome and heard in person the apology of Pope Francis. And then three months later, he came to Canada and gave that same apology in three locations, Edmonton, Quebec City, Aquiliet, Nunavut, Nunavut, representing First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. We know it triggered a lot of pain and reaction. And there's much work to be done. But in the words of Chief Robert Joseph in his classic book, which I highly recommend. The apology mattered. It was a call, and it's only beginning, but it mattered. 
So reconciliation, let me wrap this up, is a journey uh, out of the narrative of colonialism. Where are we now? Where, what's the lay of the land for us as the church? It's a journey out of the narrative of colonialism into the narrative of partnership. Etched in the indigenous mind and consciousness is the concept of partnership or sharing the land. An example is the two-row wampum treaty made between the Mohawk nations and arriving Europeans based on a beaded belt, uh, which represented one river. So the white beads represent the river. Those two colored beads, uh, a rose, represent two vessels. And basically the treaty says this, we will not be like father and son, but like brothers. Our treaty symbolized two paths or two vessels traveling down the same river together. One a birch bark canoe, which will be for the Indian people, their laws, their customs, and their ways. The other, a ship, will be for the white people and their laws, their customs, and their ways. We shall each travel the river together. The river is Turtle Island. It's the land, right? We will travel together side by side, but in our own boat. Neither of us will make compulsory laws nor interfere in the internal affairs of the other. Neither of this will steer... Neither of us will try to steer the other's vessel. Whereas the narrative of colonialism was informed by the doctrine of discovery. As you see on this slide, the doctrine of discovery, or the terra nullius, which means empty lands, right? So the whole idea was Pope Nicholas V started this in the 15th century, and it justified the colonization, subjugation, and conquest of indigenous peoples in Africa, Asia, and the Americas. It was based on this misinformed idea of empty lands. As indigenous theologian Mark Charles says, how many know you can't discover something that's already occupied? If you don't believe that, leave out your smartphone and I'll come and discover it for you. This was renounced, of course, by the church within a, a century, but the damage had been done. Recently, Pope Francis, in fact, it was March 2023. March 23, Francis again reiterated, this is renounced and rescinded. It was manipulated by political and colonial powers. It was never a doctrine of the church. So this doctrine is damaging because it shapes our understanding and laws and mindset, particularly for those of us who are settlers. How we think. And we need to decolonize that. We need to, that's what repentance, I think, looks like, is to change your way of thinking. One of the things that was most damaging by the doctrine of discovery and colonialism was the emergence of the Indian Act. The Indian Act shaped a lot of policy. And this is from the website of Indigenous Relations. Highly recommend that website, by the way. And you can see where there's, these are markers that we look for in our journey of reconciliation. Right now there's inequity in all of those areas. Deaths of children and youth, whether accidental or otherwise. Inadequate housing higher rates of suicide, lower levels of education, 
lower income levels, higher rates of unemployment, higher levels of incarceration, way out of proportion of First Nations women and men in jail to the population, poorer health. Now we're, we're on a journey. So that partnership, what does it look like? It looks when those, those, uh, those are equal. So finally, remember Steve, my friend? I've got a little surprise for you, Sini. This is him. You know when this was? Three weeks ago. My friend Steve. It's a long story, but I was afraid. I was on a graduation Facebook group, and I was afraid to ask because I thought he was dead. I, I didn't think he or my friends had survived. But one day his name came up, and a long story short, we connected by phone just before COVID. And three weeks ago, in A&W, on Hastings, we met. And I can't describe the emotion when I set eyes on him. I think he was shocked because I gave him a big hug. And he told me his story. He got healing. He hasn't touched drugs or alcohol in 35 years. He became a successful builder, carpenter, developer. He still lives on the res, Sucker Creek. He has five beautiful children. One of them is a daughter who's a neighbor of mine. She's a model. She, won, she was runner-up in Canada's Next Top Model. And she's an actress in the city. She, she's a spokesperson for Indigenous people across Canada. All his children, five beautiful children, builders, carpenters, showed me pictures. And he was in town because he wanted to celebrate the birth of a, of a grandchild that had just arrived. He's a leader in his community. And as we said for farewell, he said he would be back. And he offered to share in our church. And, he, and to offer a ceremony. To which I responded, of course. What stands out for me is that indigenous people, for all their brokenness and pain, have been so much like the creator. Taking the initiative. Did you know the TRC was the initiative of indigenous people? Did you know that? It was an initiative. Murray Sinclair, indigenous leaders across Canada, initiated that process. It should have been us. But like the creator, the, the one who was brutalized on the cross, God came. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, even though we'd offended him and brutalized him and abused him and rejected him. God took the initiative, even though they were the offended ones, offering forgiveness. Sini, who I asked to bear witness to my words today, has modeled this over and over again in our lives. Like Joseph's brothers, whose reconciliation was initiated by the one they had so abused, we are being given an opportunity for a new beginning that will bless all of us. So where do you need reconciliation? Given that reconciliation is God's work, where do you see God already at work? Remember, this is a partnership. I'd like you to just reflect on that for a minute. Where do you see God at work in your life? 
Remember, this isn't something we can initiate or start. God's doing it. What is the Father doing? And what is the current invitation for you to partner with God in God's work? This, this may be, there's an individual call. Sometimes there's a communal call. We're going to partake of communion in a minute. And it's all about, it's all about reconciliation. It's all about this invitation. But before we go into communion, I just, uh, I wanted Sini to just give a, just a, a, a brief witness to this story. And she shared, as she got in the car today to come, she shared a, a little illustration, a picture that she had that I think so encourages all of us. Uh, it was encouraging to us, but I think it's encouraging for you too. So Sini, could you come? And you can use this mic over here. that God gave to me when I saw Gordy this morning but I've had it for a while in my spirit now when we decided to go to lower post there was my husband had just passed away and my niece was killed as the very week we were planning to leave for lower post my niece was killed a logging truck slammed into her car when she was on her way to work and the whole community of Lower Post was just thrown into grief. And so I knew I had to be obedient still. We couldn't cancel the trip we had to go. And um, we took a leap of faith is basically what we did as believers. And I was excited because I was going back home to reconnect with my people and my family, first of all, and then my people. And I went home every summer, even after I got married. So this was just a continuous pattern when I met the vineyards, when I invited them. And what was so amazing about it was when we went, all the people came to hear the word of God. And we had so many people baptized. I was baptized in the Liard River, and so were so many other people. Our current chief, who's in his early 30s now, was one of the children at that time that was baptized. And so God gave me this image of you. He threw a pebble in the water which was the vineyard. And these people really had no idea what to expect. And I just went by faith, inviting them to come. And it was just so amazing what happened because God prepared our hearts. And I was just so happy to introduce them to my community that I grew up with. and. Um, you know, the pain was there, it was really deep-seated, but we never talked about it. And then when Gordy apologized, it was just like the effects 
started to happen. And people that never said a word, all of a sudden all these tears were coming and all this anger was coming. But God was faithful to us because we prayed before we went. And we prayed every day before we went out and shared the word. And I took my drum. So we prayer walked around my community and I drummed with Kathleen because we believed in prayer walking around the land. In our language, our people always talk about Deneket, feet on the land. I want everybody just to say the words with me. Dena, Dena. Kek. Kek. That means your feet, the people's feet on the ground, on the land. And what was so beautiful about it is God opened doors through faith from that ripple effect. Every community was touched by the visit from the vineyard. Now, in the north, we're little tiny communities, but we're very connected because we're so all related. Like we say, all my relations, the Cree people say that. But we are connected. And I was just so blessed because God has been doing a work in the north. Even though the vineyard hasn't been there for a few years, we continue to pray for lower posts. But when I say lower post, I'm talking about all those communities around it as well because we're all related. And so what happens in one little community, word of mouth, we call it the moccasin telegraph. And our people find out about things and then they share. Well, the word of God went out when we brought the word home. And that's what I talk about, the ripple effect. And I have living testimonies of what happened. I shared with a little bit of it with Gordy and Kathleen. And I intend to write my story because I think it's the next step for me. But God used the church in such a powerful way. And God just opened the doors after we prayed into it. And the residential school healing money started after that. And I, I just said... God is at work. Look at what the vineyard did. And I gave the vineyard credit because of God. And, you know, but the money came from the government. <laughs> we'll take your credit. <laughs> so they prayed into it. And then we started to have healing workshops. And they gathered all our people in the north after the initial couple of years that we were going up to Lower Post and ministering. And God did a mighty work in the land. I just want you to know it wasn't just the vineyard, but the effects of prayer. How my little church, you know, stood with me. And God opened all these doors. I went home to teach, and so many good things happened. I worked with our elders, and I brought them into the school in Watson Lake Secondary School. And they wept when they walked in there because they never felt welcome there. And so I just want to share that with you and leave that little image of the pebble and the effects that go out. Yeah. We have no idea what God is capable of doing until you look at it and look at what has happened in the perspective. So I just want to encourage each one of you, you know, that if you... 
you know, see an Indigenous person or you have some way to connect to that person. I think it's so beautiful. I'm so thankful for my friend Kathleen who was so bold in the Lord and banged on doors to even get me hired in the Vancouver school system. <laughs> so prayer also is the key. Yes. And Gordy, you know, has been such a, a good friend to my people. And I'm so grateful for both of them in our church. God bless you all. Thank you. So, I will leave you with that little prophetic encouragement. Think of that pebble. Think of the ripples. And just know that your life matters. And, and your partnership in reconciliation, no matter how big or small it may seem to be, it matters. Thank you. God bless you.